Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Mike Finger. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have Mike with us. Mike is, is an entrepreneur and has a lot of experience, not just in managing businesses, but in successfully selling businesses. So we're going to chat about Mike's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, and then get his insights, experiences, and practical tips on preparing your business for sale. We've talked about quite a, this topic quite a bit on the show, but it's such, a, such an important topic that it's great to always get different perspectives, different experiences on how to do this. It's probably you know, one of the key things, if we're able to, to successfully manage a business and keep from failing at it, one of the biggest challenges is how do we exit the business? And so that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes pages, including this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Mike Finger, as I said, is a successful small business owner. Over the last 25 years, Mike has bought, built, and sold multiple businesses. Building his first business was a rewarding challenge, but what really captivated him was selling his first business. Mike explains that selling his first business was a miracle in his life, as he puts it. It changed everything, but it almost didn't happen. He was 10 years in with 50 employees when he found out that the business was unsellable. It was devastating, as you can imagine, but he moved forward and focused on changing a few simple elements in the business. We're going to chat about what some of those things were. Those changes made that first sale possible, and it changed his life. He now focuses on helping other small business owners experience that same miracle. Mike lives in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, which every time I say that, I think it's cold. <laughs> we'll chat about why he lives there. But once again, Mike Finger, welcome to the show. Excellent to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So why do you live in Minneapolis? I'm curious. I mean, I know it's a great place to live, so I'm joking. And I have spent some time up there, but it's so darn cold in the winter, Mike. Well, my neighbors would be insulted to hear you say I live in <laughs> Minneapolis, Henry. I'm, ah, okay. I, I'm, I'm a suburb community, but I'm over the border, so I'm in western Wisconsin. I see. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, we all our media, everything comes out of the Twin Cities here, but uh, way more Packer fans here than uh, you're going to find over the river. Got it. So even colder, so still, you must love and embrace winter, I suspect. <sighs> I don't. I don't know that I could say I love it. I tolerate it. I, I'm. I'm just back a couple of days ago from Phoenix in oh uh, in August, and uh, this is better. <laughs> yeah. No. There's no doubt. In the summer, especially here where I am in Dallas, where we're having, you know, a hundred plus degree days, it's definitely better. I used to spend some time up there when I worked for a company called Lawson Software, which was based in Minneapolis, and then they moved to downtown St. Paul. And so got to go up there and, and a great area. It's just in the winter. I'm, I'm not a winter person. So but anyway, is that where you grew up? I did. Yeah, I grew up on the east side of St. Paul um, and then uh, moved a, a little further east to a small farm when, when I was uh, quite young. So uh, grew up on the small farm and uh, uh, but always in, in, in and back to the Twin Cities general area. Yeah. Did you go to college? I did. Yeah, I was uh, uh, undergrad in Texas and then graduate school uh, here back in the Twin Cities uh, for my master's. Interesting. Where in Texas? Uh, uh, East Texas. Um, I was in the Tyler area. Oh, wow. So again, yes, I know of the heat and humidity that you uh, you guys fight down there. Yeah, you. so you spent four years down here then. I did. I did. I'm reminded of the, uh, the famous quote, if, if I owned hell in Texas, I would uh, live in hell and rent out Texas. It was just brutal there during the summer. Uh, wonderful people, beautiful surroundings, but I don't know how you deal with the heat. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's rough. My wife is from Longview, which is in fart from Tyler. Sure. And then, of course, uh, we've got, we got a friend who has a daughter at UT Tyler, and then I had a friend who just finished a year at Tyler Junior College. So were you at UT Tyler? I wasn't. I was actually at a small school that's uh, not, not, not there anymore. Um, wow. Yeah. It, uh, 
but yeah, just about an hour and a half outside of Dallas. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what did you study, and what did you think you were going to do after college? And what oh, did... very much the traditional entrepreneur's path. Really, uh, Henry, I got an undergraduate degree in theology, which of <laughs> course everyone needs uh, to to start a business. A minor in English. And then got a graduate degree in public administration with a focus on nonprofit management. Wow. So, so were you going to go into ministry or what were you going to do? You know, it was a consideration early on. Um, I, I found myself more attracted to mission-based organizations, which I is why I, uh, you know, went on to the nonprofit and public administration. Um, you'll see that there's a there's a, a theme to that. Our, the first business that we started served nonprofits, associations, and schools. Okay. So we had a very strong mission-driven uh, focus with the clientele we worked with. But uh, the uh, the entrepreneurial bug, the business ownership bug, absolutely started to crawl in uh, as we yeah. as, as I move forward. So before I, I, I lose this thought, one of the things I've experienced with people like yourself that have that background where you want to serve and you, you want to go that direction is sometimes people have that people in, with your situation have a problem or a struggle reconciling, you know, running a for-profit business versus, you know, nonprofit. Do you understand that struggle I'm alluding to? And I'm curious as to how you ended up reconciling that for yourself. Oh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, 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 I think it's absolutely uh, an influence on on why my journey went the way it did, and why I found myself at that place that you alluded to earlier of of a business that was unsellable. Uh, I thought business ownership was about uh, sacrifice. I thought it was about eighteen hour days, and um, there's a lot there's a lot of ownership that that requires that, but uh, uh, there also is part of it that uh, means the business has to give back. And uh, that was a struggle at first, coming to terms with how that works. So yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a tie-in between where, where I started and some of the struggles uh, along the way, but also some of the benefits that we saw from that approach. Yeah. Um, a servant-based leadership approach, some of those uh, some of those things that can be fundamental to success in business uh, were very natural based on on, on where I came from. Mm -hmm. A couple areas where I can see and I see it can manifest itself is one is you tend to put up with employee low performance because you're trying to help that person. You You want to make them better. And so you don't look at it as, I don't know, cutthroat as sometimes we have to in a business, right? Um, and we'll keep a person on longer than we should. Did you struggle with any of that? And I'm curious as to how you look at that now. Sure. No, I, I didn't think I struggled with a, with a sense of low expectations. I, I think where it got maybe fuzzy for me is I started the business and thought the team I put together was going to be a family. And then members of the family did things like fall in love and move to Alaska or <laughs> find a better job or tell me they wanted 40% more uh, in their salary and, 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 and very quickly came to terms with the fact that uh, there was a distinct difference between um, a business that felt like a family and effectively managing a team. Yeah. All right. So is this the business that we're starting, starting to talk about that you had you were not able to sell that you had a challenge selling and what was that business tell me what type of business this was yeah it uh it was a, a management um it was a management business we essentially provided outsourced services to uh nonprofits associations and schools uh doing everything from basic administration up to executive director and leadership um skills. Uh, and you had owned that business for how long before you got to a point where I, you thought I'd like to sell this business? I was about 10 years in. Uh, for me, the, the sell point was what was driven by burnout. I, I was ready to be done. I was ready to do something else. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so tell us a little bit more then about, I mean, you, I think you're alluding to some of it, but why was it that you very much clearly found out it, you couldn't sell it the way it was at that point. 
You know, I think part of it was a lack of education on my part. Part of it was just naivete. Um, but I got to it that, that day where I hung up the phone after talking to the second or third broker who told me things like too owner dependent, not enough cash flow, uh, dot, 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 right? I mean, um, those, those basic fundamental broken things in my business that I had uh, held together by uh, hook and crook and 18 hour days um, finally came back to bite me. Um, I thought I had done my homework. I thought I knew what I was doing. I had read the articles that told me that my business was worth, you know, two times revenue or I, I, I had read information I thought should have informed uh, my understanding of what came next, but the reality was very different when I actually went to to execute an exit. So then, what did what did you start to do to get it in a position to be able to see? You were able to successfully sell it eventually. Is that correct? I did. Yeah, we yeah. sold it about four years later. Four years later. Okay. Um, and at that point, it was a um, it was kind of a do over for the business. I, I had reached that point, like I said, where uh, quite literally, if somebody had walked through the door and offered me a nickel, I would have walked out. Yeah, um, was just that burnt. Did you think about abandoning it altogether, just shutting it down? Uh, no, I don't think I ever seriously considered that. Uh, um, I mean, it wasn't a question of you know great financial liability or something like that. I think it was part of what you talked about earlier. My sense of responsibility to fifteen employee or fifty employees. Um, and you know the, the the future opportunity that that I wanted to see created um, wouldn't have allowed me to do that. But you yeah. know I was I was joking at the time and telling people I was scheduling in my heart attack. But there was a voice <laughs> in the back of my head that that knew that there was way too much truth in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just uh, it had gotten too heavy. Yeah. Okay. So so tell us a little bit more about what you did on those four years to prepare for sale. I mean, if we start, for example, with it being too dependent on you, what were some of the things you did to change that? Oh, so we're going right for the, uh, for the very embarrassing personal details. Uh, <laughs> because, that, you know, that's one where I am, uh, uh, I'm still a little bit embarrassed about the reality of that. Uh, Henry, I was one of those uh, owners that couldn't be in the room and not be the decision maker. Um, and unfortunately, I, I unintentionally taught that to my staff. So if I was sitting in my corner office there and something and a decision needed to get made um, until they got the smile or the frown from me, uh, it didn't happen. And so, for example, one of the things that I ended up having to do to create that um, replaceability for myself is higher management but that wasn't enough. I had to hire management and then open a, uh, a side office uh, about 50 miles away where I would go and sit during the day by myself. Wow. Uh, because I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't be in the room and not be that guy. And so I had enough self-awareness to understand that that was what was required if I was going to change the business. But uh, that level of crutch was needed for me to to stop fiddling with what was working. Yeah, that, that I mean, that definitely took some self-awareness because I, I that's what a lot of us as entrepreneurs, especially if we start small like this, we suffer from. It's it's in part, Mike, I think what gets us there to begin with, right? That's right. It, we have to be people that embrace decision-making. I think that's one of the keys to being successful. But we, we then it gets very muddled and confusing as to when we need to step back from that. And that's where you were at that point. Absolutely. There is so much truth in what you just said. And I, I really appreciate the perspective you bring on that because I talk to folks that come from strictly a corporate environment or have done startups where they had large dollars at the table and the lack of understanding of the reality of what that small business owner, yes, you, you have to do it that way in order to survive, let alone succeed. But at yep. some point you have to stop doing that way if you want to survive and succeed. Yeah. The other thing I find, and I, I've been guilty of this because it's took me quite some time to get good at delegating and I'm still wouldn't say I'm great at it. And David and I, my co-host David, again, you've, you've been on his show as well. 
we both struggle with it. And then part of it also is that we undermine the process sometimes. We will assign something or delegate something, but then we micromanage the heck out of it and undermine the confidence of those people to make a decision. Hence why they were looking to you nonetheless to for those visual cues as to how to proceed, right? Absolutely. And I am sitting here, you can't see me, but the embarrassed smile on my face <laughs> as you say that, it's like you're it's like you were looking at me uh, in my ownership role there. Yes, well-intentioned, um, desiring good outcomes, but messing it up day after day after day because I had good people and I didn't know how to leave them alone. All right. On the cash flow issue, what were what was going on there? Were you not charging enough? Did you have, did you need to narrow down your scope of services to what was more profitable? What were some of the things you had to do to improve the cash flow? Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I can think uh, the first thing I had to do is prioritize it. The first thing I had to do is recognize the critical importance of the business making money. And, and like I said, I, um, I, I, the first couple of years, the shoot, the first decade, it was about growth for me. I was a growth junkie. I thought that's what it was all about. So it was the next client and the next employee and the next office. Um, and, and that's what I was chasing. And I thought the payoff would come for that when I finally realized that what I needed to do is actually show some cash flow. Um, it was about, you know, taking a, a fresh look at what we had done. For example, we had a, uh, we did an analysis and found that about 40% of our clients were still being billed out under our original billing structure, yeah. which was a great structure for safety and security for the business, but it offered very little upside. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I had to agonize for, for six months to make the decision to pull the trigger on that when I ultimately did and changed them over to our new billing structure we lost a client or two, but the profitability we gained from uh, the others that stayed far outweighed the loss. But again, it was about seeing the importance of that uh, that seller's discretionary earnings that I needed to earn. Yeah. All right. So then you you successfully sold the business. Uh, like you said, it took about four years. And and at that position, what, what did you know you were going to do something else next business-wise? Or, I mean, financially, that might have had to have been the situation. Tell me about what you were thinking back then after you sold the business. Oh, what a beautiful time it was. Um, it, it, that, that opportunity to sell, you know, I talk about a miracle or a do-over. It's that... Uh, uh, it, it was a chance to take a step back, look at what we had been able to accomplish, took a little time off a couple months, um, fell in, had fallen in love with kind of that, that transition, that, uh, that business sale process, actually went to work as a broker for about a year. Okay. Um, loved a lot about that work, um, but ultimately realized it wasn't going to be a good fit for me in part because I found myself most attracted to the businesses that were unsellable ah. and uh, how to fix them. And that's a really rotten way to build a, uh, a, a clientele as a, as a broker who gets paid on commission. Right. Uh, so it was, uh, so I did that for about a year, um, spent about three years working with an organization that, that helped start up and growth companies, start up and grow fac faster. So it was about, uh, connecting with small business owners. And uh, that, that's the common theme uh, after, after the sale was that most all of my time was spent with small business owners. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, during that time, I, I, and subsequently, I bought and sold two small businesses. Uh, again, I think in, in, in primarily to, to prove to myself that what I had learned was real and could be replicated. Um, that it wasn't some fluke that I had experienced in changing the business. Uh, and so it was, uh, again, always around that small business circle. Um, that's the space I love. When a business gets too large, my brain just starts to get fuzzy. Right. And I, you, one of them was a car wash business, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, and it seems to me like you're like me that the business itself, the type of business, you know, what it does isn't as important as in your case, the challenge of turning it around or getting it fixed, uh, it seems like that's where it is for you more so than necessarily what the business is. 
but within certain parameters, I suspect. But is that yeah, true? I, I think that's true. The commonality was that they were everything I've owned has been a service business. Okay. Um, and so, uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, those those purchases and subsequent sales were more about a financial analysis uh, of opportunity. Uh, where I could see some concrete changes that could be made to the business to uh, to dramatically change the value that it had, um, and uh, but yeah, the commonality I think was service. But you know that's part of the fun of being that small business owner is your is your opportunity to learn something new. So uh, that does not that doesn't scare me. It's usually an attraction when a when a, a new business opportunity has something different in it. The attraction to the service type businesses, is, is it because you have a certain philosophy and approach to how to how to treat and take care and interact with the customer that you think is part of how you turn a business around? I, I think so. I think a, a large part of it was just the understanding of the mechanism of those kinds of transactions. Okay. You know, I've, had, I've had some exposure to manufacturing and it just works differently, right? And I, I never had enough experience there to, um, at least not yet, to feel like placing a bet on my knowledge in that space. When you look back in life now, did, did you have any influences, any entrepreneurial influences that you kind of tapped into, or did you have to learn it all on your own, if you will? Uh, you know, if if I have to credit anyone with lighting that spark, I, I think it has to be my my f the first boss out of college. Uh, guy's name was Dale. Dale was uh, Dale was larger than life, both uh, figuratively and literally. Dale was pushing three hundred plus uh, plus pounds, and uh, walked into the room with a personality as as large as he was. Um, he was the uh, just the old school entrepreneur. I still remember the day that uh, uh, Dale walked through the office and, and proudly announced that he had bought a tour bus uh, <laughs> and that he thought it was time for us to open up a tour bus service for our customers. Um, and ironically, that bus sat in the, uh, in the parking lot for about two years. I think the only money that ever got made there was, uh, we happened to be located in South Minneapolis at the time, the only mother, money that ever got made with the bus is when some prostitutes broke in and started servicing clients out of the bus. And so, but that was the sort of thing Dale would do. He would see an opportunity, he would dive hard for it. And I got to spend five years uh, working for him, watching that and watching that, um, oh, that energy and that action turn into uh, profitable business. And that was a, uh, that was unquestion unquestionably an inspiration for me. And it sounds like a little bit of fearlessness built in there, right? This, this, you never know, so so why not try? Yeah, he was, uh, boy, that was him. Just uh, uh, no, and, and very little um, hesitation about just just going for it. And, and again, you know, that that brought its own set of uh, problems with it, but. Uh, Compared to my rather um, conservative approach up to that point, Dale was a um, Dale was a new picture for me to look at. No doubt. This is Henry Lopez, briefly interrupting this episode to invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, just visit thehowofbusiness.com or Simply text the word bizcoach, that's B-I-Z coach, to 31996. What would you say, Mike, are a couple of characteristics, personal characteristics that you have either that, you know, were there early on or that you've developed that have led to your success in business? Well, I think the first one uh, that comes to mind uh, is probably a little out of fashion these days. You know, we hear about the four-hour work week and things like that. I, I think for me is is hard work. Um, I, I uh, 
Henry, if you and I go head to head and compete, um, uh, I might lose, uh, but you're not going to beat me because you outworked me. Uh, and so I, I, that has served me very well uh, in my career. Um, second, I think, is the ability to have some different skills, but know how to compartmentalize them. Um, I, I love to plan and analyze, and it wasn't uncommon for me to lock myself in my office for a day or two to um, figure out the mechanics of a decision, but then to be able to uh, put that analysis aside and go into execution mode without continually second guessing and wondering. Mm -hmm. And so um, those skills both served me very well, but the ability to shut one down when it was time to do the other, uh, I think is, is a large benefit for a small business owner. And I got to believe then that those are characteristics that were instilled in you early on in life. Oh, absolutely. The hard work uh, that that comes right from my parents. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, that core belief in the importance of, of putting what you have out there and uh, pursuing uh, with energy and enthusiasm what you want to accomplish. Great. Thanks for sharing that. To, to, to kind of segue off of that, one of the challenges, though, Mike, that we have, those of us who, you know, approach it the same way, right, the hard work is that I think that sometimes that is what can get us to a point where we, we think we'll just work harder at it and that'll, that'll put me in a position to exit my business, right? It, it may have been in part where you were, right? Just, just put more of myself into it and we'll get there. But in fact, you needed to separate yourself a bit from the business. But as we segue in a little bit more into the, the topic of selling a business, um, you, you put it as helping business owners learn to leave and I got to think the choice of word there is purposeful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, uh, it's hard for me to, to talk about this without personalizing it. And like, like I said earlier, I, I thought I had done my homework, but what I recognized and, and learned subsequently is that what I thought was success in my business, what I saw as um, reflective of my time, effort, and output uh, was fundamentally different than what my business needed to look like if I was going to interest a buyer in it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I just think it's critical for the small business owner to take a step back periodically. It doesn't have to be all the time. It doesn't have to be on mind. The problem is, is, is we wait on this topic until it's too late. We wait on this topic until we're ready uh, to sell. And for most of us, by that point, it's too late. So yes, learn to leave uh, is, is about uh, creating a business that you can sell when you want the way you want. So do you believe we have to come into every business with an exit plan or strategy from at the start? Henry, I'm supposed to answer yes to that question, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't ring true for my personal experience. Um, the businesses that I have started, including this one, have been more an act of exorcism than an act of capital. <laughs> I have this idea. It won't go away. Uh, I, I need to try it. I need to figure out if I can make it work. Um, I, I know there's exit planners that are just cursing at, uh, uh, you know, at their iPods right now because they, they know I'm supposed to answer yes to that question. I, I don't. I, I would never advise a, a, an aspiring entrepreneur to not start a business because they don't know what it's going to look like in seven years or they don't know what their exit plan is. I think you need to start when the compulsion is, is there to start. Uh, but as soon as you reach survivability, as soon as you reach sustainability, you'd better start thinking about this uh, or you're going to miss the boat. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, Mike. I think, especially on the point that the reality is that for most of us, we, we don't know what that business is going to look like a year from now, not to mention if I'm going to sell it, right? Because right. we have to pivot and adjust and react and respond. But here's what I would ask if you, if you agree with that. I think what we do have to think about from the outset is that we have what it helps us in doing that and at least asking ourselves that questions is that maybe it helps us from not getting stuck in the working in the business as opposed to on the business 
And if we go in understanding that that's not the goal, maybe that helps us not get too deep into that hole, right? And so what do you think about that? I agree with the, uh, the philosophy. I agree with the, the reality of that for many small business owners. And I'm flashing back to sitting at my desk with multiple credit cards lined up with my post-it notes where I'm paying off one with a check from another and knowing that there's no way I'm going to be able to hire another person to do what needs to be done. So I'm going to be working 40 hours over the next three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm absolutely, you're sharing wisdom. It's, it, it's truth. Uh, but it's not a truth that applied in my entrepreneurial experience. Yeah, nor, nor does it for most of us as small business owners. Right. And so what do you do with that? How do you, mm. how do you marry the, the reality that, yes, anyone who starts a business should give some, some consideration to what, how they want to get out. But I'm also, uh, I want to embrace the reality of the journey we have, and it often doesn't include that. Here's where I think it helps us as well to at least bring it into the conversation early, Mike, is the thing that we struggle most with, and you touched on it, is when do we realize, all right, this idea, this business model is not working. The only way I'm going to be able to sustain it is by me working 80 hours a day and leading to leading to the heart attack where, where you found yourself. So um, you were able to fix it, but a lot of times it's not fixable is what I'm thinking. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's true. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of small business owners that uh, create an, uh, uh, an operation that doesn't work without their sacrifice, or they haven't taken that risk to raise prices to a point where they're going to generate some cash flow, or, you know, any of a hundred of other uh, other details that that we could talk about, um, but that uh, that small business owner recognizing that that reality of their business makes it unsellable is a huge learning point in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I can't tell you the pain that gets experienced when you're sitting across the table from a small business owner who's in their mid sixties, uh, planning to sell this business to fund their retirement, only to hear you deliver the message that. There's nothing here. You know, yeah. we can sell your stuff for maybe 10, 20 grand, but other than, and how can that be? The look of just despair on their face. Um, that's, that's where that learn to leave comes in. That's where that knowledge, even if you discover that your business is unsellable, that knowledge allows you to take other steps and pursue other opportunities, uh, retirement plan, investments in other places. If, if you get to that end and you haven't asked this question, you are making a hugely harmful bet. That's 20%. Henry, the numbers, the best numbers I can find say 20% of small businesses will sell successfully. Yeah, it's amazing. And you talked about, I was doing the research in one of your either blog posts or something else you talked about. And this has been shared with me before. And it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around this early in my business ownership career of the people who tell you, well, we, we continue to reinvest all of our profits back into the business. Um, and <laughs> I forget how you put it, but, but, but tell me how you put it, because that's not really a business then, is it? No, profit means profit. We, if, it's, if, you, if it doesn't get protected from the owner and the wonderful reinvestment opportunities we pursue, then it's not profit. Then you just haven't made any money. And we have trouble translating that as owners, but I tell you what, prospective buyers and their bankers are really good at translating that language. Yeah, They know reinvesting in the business means we never made any money. That's right. Okay. And, and again, I think that ties back, Mike, to for a lot of us, we associate that, I think, with the hard work I'm putting, I'm giving it all, I'm going to keep fighting, I'm going to keep putting the money back in, we're going to get there, it's just going to take more work, more, more reinvestment, and I think we fall into that trap for a lot of us as small business owners. I think that's very true. I guess the journey for me, even you know, after I reached that point of, of understanding that my business was unsellable, what it became about, I don't think I worked less but I worked very differently mm-hmm. uh, and, and started to not do things because I knew it was critically important that I could say to a prospective buyer, 
oh, I don't do that part. Uh, Mariah takes care of that stuff. And she's done that all by herself for the last three years. Yeah. Now I have a transferable asset. Now I have something that the, the, the prospective buyer can walk through the door. Now I might be doing something else with my time. I might still be putting in the hours, uh, but I'm, I'm doing it more thoughtfully. Yeah. So to me, immediately, when you describe that, what, what comes to mind is the need to implement systems so that these things can be repeated by someone else. And, and so I'm assuming that was part of what you began to do when you were at that point in your business. Absolutely. So when, when I sit with a business owner, when, when we put our content together, um, there's really three core questions that we ask a small business owner to ask themselves. Um, and I, I bring this up because systems feeds right into that. We ask them uh, to ask themselves, are my results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate my results? And can I document my results? Those are the three Ds. Those are the three D questions. Under the, are my results desirable? We talk about increasing your seller's discretionary earnings, your cash flow, make more money. Uh, we talk about improving your job. What is it like to be you sitting in the owner's chair? Uh, if you're working 18 hours a day for 12 bucks an hour, uh, that's not an attractive life for me to buy as a prospective buyer. Right. Nobody wants to buy a low-paying job. No. If your job sucks, why would someone pay <laughs> you the opportunity to do it? Right. And, and again, you know, we we say that, and, and but I meet owners all the time that believe what I did, which is, oh, I've sacrificed my way into the jackpot, and it doesn't work that way. And that's why people, I think, I think you're hitting on why we become so delusional about the worth, the value of our business. And then we'll find, we'll come up with a formula that, that validates it, right? I've seen some incredible things for very small business, you know, valuation methods that are used for huge manufacturing firms. And it's not that complicated, but we, we have to then, I think we've convinced ourselves, all of that sacrifice and effort and all those hours that I'm working, it must be worth all this money. Right. How, how could it not? How could it not? Yeah. Because if it's not, then I have wasted the last 10 years. I know. Or, or I, how, can, how can this not be worth anything? I, I'm, I'm thinking of the, uh, the small uh, hair salon owner that I was sitting at a, a Denny's restaurant with, and she was interested in selling her business. And I had to tell her, listen, it, it, in good conscience, if somebody wanted to buy your business, I would have to tell them to go get a part-time job at Great Clips instead <laughs> because they would make so much more money than yeah. what you're making. I mean, she was working, you know, at least 12 hours a day, seven days a week for less than minimum wage to keep the place alive. Thought the sale was the, was the opportunity. Yeah. There was nothing there. All right. So, I, you know, I've been taking it negative quite a bit because, again, you and I see this every day. Uh, you can sell your small business, but you have to do these things to get it ready. And so let's kind of come back to the three things. My results are desirable. So I, I, I can show that these are revenues that can grow. There's potential. There's potential for growth. I can duplicate it without me having to be there, right? Yep. Um, and, and then the document part, what, tell me a bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, well, so when we talk about uh, can I document my results, that's, um, that's real simple. It's keep clean records, yeah. right? I mean, you and I have been in business long enough. We've looked at enough businesses to buy to have the, uh, the guy reach out and pull you to the side and tell you he wants to show you his second set of books. Mm -hmm. Or, um, hey, let me, let me talk about the cash I put in my pocket. And, uh, or maybe you're just sloppy. You know, I, I, the truth is, is that it doesn't really matter what's causing your records to be screwy. Uh, when I come to analyze your business as a prospective buyer, uh, and more importantly, when I bring your business results to my banker to get the loan to buy your business, the only thing that matters is what you can document. Yeah, it That's undermines confidence if nothing else, right? If I have to do a bunch of adjustments on owner benefits that I'm backing out, it just, and, you know, and the banks don't like that to your point. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you, 
Henry, you, you sit across the table from the guy that gets offended because you don't trust the fact that he's putting this money in his pocket. Um, you know, hey, I just admitted to you that I lie to the IRS, but I'd never lie to you, buddy. Um, hey, well, they can throw you in jail and all I can do is frown at you. So um, That's right. I don't think I'm going to write a check. So yeah, it's it, it, it's as simple as keeping clean records uh, on, the, on the document side. When we talk about duplication, um, you know, can a buyer duplicate my results? We're really talking about two issues. We're talking about building a team and building a system, uh, you know, building systems, because that question translates into, uh, are you replaceable? Can I walk through the door tomorrow as you walk out the exit door? And can I replicate the results that I bought when I bought your business? Mm -hmm. If I can, uh, your business is dramatically more sellable. If I can't, Who's your buyer? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So what's, what's your thought? You were one, but, and so what's your thought about using a business broker to help you sell a business? I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in both camps on this one. I am, I'm very sympathetic to the job a business broker has to do. Uh, most of them work on commission. Most of them are, uh, uh, driven to have to sort through the 90% of prospects that they talk to that don't have sellable businesses. Uh, it's a tough job. And um, many of the brokerages have done a good job of getting a handle around the technical issues that come into play when you actually move from building a sellable business to selling a business. You know, now we're talking about how important it is to answer right on question 27 on page 12 of the form. Um, that said, uh, brokers are uh, a hard bunch to, uh, uh, to hang out with just because uh, th they have a tendency to churn through, and I've got air quotes with my hands, the loser business owners. I have been dropped, I don't know how many times on calls by business brokers that figured out that I wasn't going to sell them uh, or send them you know, twenty million dollar businesses twice a week for referrals. So, uh, it, it's a. I think most business owners who sell a business um, will end up using a broker and should feel comfortable with that. Uh, but uh, if I if I have one piece of advice about brokers for small business owners, it's stop hiding from them. Um, I, I would I advise. Uh, business owners to have a cup of coffee, have a conversation with a business broker at least once a year, and mm -hmm. then do it with a different broker the next. Steal an education from them. Yeah. Let them take a look at your business, tell you what, what's, what makes it sellable, not sellable. They'll love the opportunity to do it. And then next year, do it with somebody else and see what's changed and see what different opinions. It'll take you uh, three or four hours to provide them the information that you need and for them to go through their process with you. And you'll have a, an opinion of value and uh, a sense for uh, sellability of your business. Um, and it allow you to tweak. So stop hiding. from. They chase us. We run and hide. And then we think, ooh, I must have a sellable business if they're chasing after. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's wise advice. And, and also, you talk about uh, the secret wish that business brokers have about your small business. What, what are you talking about there? What is it that they secretly wish? Uh, they want you to be bigger. I, I mean, that's the that's the simple uh, that's the simple unfortunate reality for us as small business owners. That when I come to you as a broker, if I come to you and you're the broker and I have a business that's w legitimately worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they know they're they're taking a ten percent commission off that. Uh, if I come to you with a similar business that's one point one point five million dollars in value they're not doing 10 times more work to sell that business. Right. They want you to be bigger. So suck it up. Know that going in. If you've got a sellable business, even if it's 150 grand, there's a lot of brokers that'll be interested. Uh, but understand you're not going to be at the top of their pile. Yeah, agreed. That's been my experience as well. All right, let's start to wrap it up with this last question on the subject. If I'm, if I'm at that point you know, where I'm thinking I, I want to sell my business at some point, when some of this is is summarizing, but where do where do I start? What are your suggestions for where I get started in getting ready to sell my business? 
you know, for those that aren't ready to engage an outside resource, I advise them to start very simply and and put put some time on their calendar once a month. Put a half an hour on your calendar once a month, where you start to investigate this topic, where you start to. Uh, look at your business the way a buyer might, where you start to engage uh, what is the most important, largest financial transaction you're going to have uh, that we just don't, we don't pay attention to as small business owners. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's very pragmatic advice. It's not, it's not profound, but very few of us do it as small business owners. We wait until we're ready or we wait until we're past ready as I did. And then we, uh, we find out it's too late. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I I took that approach when I sold a business several years ago. I just started, you know, there's lots of larger brokers that'll put on free workshops or or meetings. And so I just started educating myself on the process. I had never up to that point sold a business through a broker. And so I did what you said. I just started educating myself on that. Um, I also think a good test, Mike, is if I were to if I were to take a, a week away, let's say from the business, let's start with that. What happens to my business? And I think that's as you start to do that, you're testing as to whether the business is still completely dependent on you or not. Absolutely, yeah. That's where those those three basic questions come into play. And you know, one of those, like we said, the question of duplication. Uh, one way you prove that to a prospective buyer is you show them you haven't been there. Right? Yeah. Nothing proves the point better than that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Great. So summarize for us uh, what you offer, the services you offer, the types of clients that you work with uh, through your business exit oasis. Sure. We, uh, we have uh, three primary areas that we, we work in. We provide content. Uh, we provide that content free of charge. We have a, a newsletter online that comes out once a week. It's not a sales vehicle for us. It's, it's us looking to find the best content in this space online and then sharing it with our subscribers. Uh, we've got an online course called Will I Be Able to Sell My Small Business? Uh, designed to walk uh, the small business th- owner through that question and be able to answer it for themselves, touching on much of what we've talked about today and obviously in more depth. Um, and then we offer a coaching product for small business owners. Uh, we work with small business owners who are serious about creating the change in their business, but it's an extremely affordable coaching product, recognizing that these are small business owners that m- many of which come to uh, this need, recognizing, for example, that their cash flow is not what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've got uh, some special offers. I know there's a free ebook as well as I think a discount for our listeners on that online yeah, course. Ab- absolutely. If, uh, if, if listeners come to our website, um, they'll see in our menu options, the, the course that's offered there, uh, click through to that. Uh, if you register, what, what we're offering is a, a $40 off the $99 purchase price for the first 10 customers uh, that utilize the code. And that code is H-O-W, how. So uh, folks go uh, get signed up. It'll, it'll ask for a coupon code. You plug that in and that's going to get you about 40% off the, uh, uh, the online course. Wonderful. Thanks for that offer. And we'll have that information on the show notes page as well. If you're not somewhere where you can write all that down, be sure to come back to the website and all that information will be there for you. Mike, uh, we both like to read books. And uh, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? I'm sure there's been hundreds of others on your podcast that have recommended this, uh, Henry. But at this stage, if you're a small business owner and you haven't read The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, you're just being stubborn. Um, uh, It's a book that it's, it's the only business book that fundamentally changed my approach as a business owner. I read it after I started my business and uh, it spoke to me in ways that no other book had or has. Um, so that's, that's a big push for me. Um, uh, the yeah. other, uh, I, I'm a fan of Norm Brodsky's a writer for Inc. Magazine, uh, has a couple books out as well. So I'd encourage uh, folks that like pragmatic real world business advice to check him out as well. Wonderful. Great recommendations. And yes, the E-Myth is the number one 
most recommended book of all of the guests I've had over 260 or so episodes. I think it's the most appropriate book for the topic we just discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think it's, it, it hits exactly in and it's very easy read. If you have not read it before, it's a very easy read and it touches on this topic, a lot of things, but the key takeaway for me from that book still, you know, years after having read it, I've read it several times is the whole thing of working on your business, not in your business. And that's at the heart of what we've just talked about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I, what's go ahead. I was just going to mention that the interesting thing is I was an e-myth guy and still built an unsellable business. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's building that structure, but building it with an outcome in mind. So, so why is that? Do you think when you think back to it, why did you nonetheless end up working deep into your business? Why do you think you did that still? Oh boy, that's a that that's a great question, Henry. I think it was just you know I started my business pretty young. I had a lot to learn. I learned it along the way uh, by making stupid mistakes. Um, that's usually how it works for me. And so, uh, I think that was an opportunity to do that with my first business. Uh, I was lucky. I was lucky to get to that point and be able to change the business and then do it. And, and apply that learning to other businesses. Yeah. I think, Mike, it's part of that, the work ethic thing that we bring, that hard work can get us in trouble because I think that we dig a deeper hole by thinking, well, I'll just work harder. I, I, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, I, I, it, it just, I, the words don't work so hard. They just stumble coming out of my Oh, mouth. I know. We don't, we don't know how to do that. Yeah. All right. Very good. We can talk about this for another couple of hours. Thanks for engaging me there. Uh, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about getting your business ready to sell? Yeah. It, don't wait. Don't wait. Uh, we wait too long. We think it's something. We think it's a process. We think it's something that starts when we're ready to sell. Yeah. And you can't wait. That's why only 20% sell. Don't wait. Engage the topic now. Spend a little time on it. Learn to leave. And then keep your business for the next 20 years. I mean, the beautiful mystery of this space, and you know this, Henry, is that the best business to own is one that's easy to sell. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well said. Where do you want us to go online to find out more? They can find out more about us at exitoasis.com. Mike, this has been a great conversation, engaging conversation. I've learned a lot. Thanks for indulging all of my questions and for taking the time to be with me today. Henry, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Mike Finger. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.